kind of unusual for us to play in sync on this show, Brett McGarry. <laughs> Just in case you weren't annoyed by our social media feeds, now you can be annoyed on the air as well. <laughs> A lot of you will be inundated with memes today. It's a play on the way Justin Timberlake sings a certain lyric in this song. And I thought it'd be, you know what? If we're going to play some fun music on this Monday, hey, why not NSYNC? I, lo- I love the NSYNC. I am a big fan of the, the 1990s pop music in the 2000s. Well, I like pop music in general. It doesn't matter what decade it's from. So if you haven't seen it on your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed, Twitter timeline, have you figured out what it is? It's gonna be May. Happy May 1st. That is the longest setup for the worst joke of all time, but you happy with yourself? Not really, yeah. actually. Can we can we go back and start the show over again? I guess not. Hope you're having a great day. Gorgeous day. What a fabulous day it was yesterday. Finally felt like real spring. Is it uh, right to call it that? Yes, it was a spectacular weekend. Uh, Saturday was beautiful. Sunday was even better, uh, which I, I found hard to believe because Saturday was so nice. It was nice Saturday. I was at baseball all day Saturday, so it was kind of a lost day. I forgot how nice it was, even though I was outside for about nine hours. It was great. Yeah, Saturday was beautiful. Yesterday, finally got my first round of golf in, went over to Kingswood at LaSalle, and uh, that was fabulous. They just want to quickly point out, too, uh, if you... Golf, have ever golfed there or maybe thinking of going there, they re- redid the clubhouse, uh, and it's sensational. It's really nice in there. They spent a lot of money in the offseason uh, propping that up, so just wanted to point that out and to just to thank their director of golf, uh, Gary Curtis. He's been, you know, he's just the customer service there is, is second to none. So I had a chat with Gary yesterday and met their new owner, Christy, on Friday. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it was uh, I, I, all is right in my world once again. I finally got to go play some golf, and even though I didn't shoot all that well, I don't care. You seem a little bit more at peace. There's a good uh, zen. Your aura <laughs> feels seals, feels organized today. Yeah. Yep. So it's I think good. that's what it is. Yeah. I just there it was like a nomad just wandering through the wilderness <laughs> with no sense of purpose. I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> now there's golf, and I'm I'm okay. I, I don't know where I'm going, but I sure know where I've been. I think Doing so. the David Coverdale thing. Uh, lots of things we're following today and this week. Mental Health Awareness Week kicks off today. It's Music Monday. Today, growth fees. If you have been thinking about purchasing a brand new home in Winnipeg, I'm sure this has been on your radar for a little while. Today, they kick in. So if you go to purchase a house in certain areas, new developments in the city, there will be a brand new fee associated with uh, developing and building that home. Parking tickets via the mail, they can start today. Mm. Typically, uh, those will be more concentrated on people parked in handicapped parking spaces and also, I guess they're disabled, right? That word, right, uh, throws me. We're allowed to say handicapped parking space now. Anyway, I, you know, politically correct, political correctness can kind of bog things down. Anyway, you're going to look that up, yep. aren't you? I like that. Uh, loading zones around schools in particular, and the big ones that I think that they've been far too lax in enforcing over the years, and that's the fire lanes around commercial properties. I think that's one we've all disobeyed or ignored or manipulated to our own favor at one time or the not 
another around over the years. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. One thing I'm seeing here is uh, you could call it reserved parking for people with limited mobility or people with disabilities. That's I guess. a mouthful when you're on the radio. I have yeah. a hard enough time saying most words. So. Accessible parking. Accessible. There we go. That's the one. Let's go with that. Accessible parking and the Forks. We hope to speak with Claire Mackay of the Forks North Portage uh, Development Corporation. You're going to be losing two of the four lanes south of York. Is it York that runs into? Yep. Yep. Into the Forks. So if you turn right, right now there are four lanes, two in each direction. Uh, you're going to be down to one lane in each direction as they will be redeveloping those two lanes. We'll tell you all about that after two o'clock, what they're doing with that property. That is interesting. I I don't remember the last time I actually went to the Forks, now that they think of it, other than to drive through just to get to York. Usually mm. if I go in there, it's to get to York and that's it. I haven't been south of York in a long time. What's going on with you? I don't know. You know what it is? I used to go to right on cue all the time. Do you remember that? I sure do. It's in the second hall of, I can't remember which building. Johnston Terminal, yes. I believe, upstairs. I think it's called something else now. Well, last time I was there was Finn McHugh's, but right. for all I know it could be something else. That's but, true. But the last time I was there, they only had one or two pool tables. It used to be a full-blown pool hall, and I just really liked it. And then when that changed, I, I stopped going there. So there you go. That was the appeal the for me. big appeal mm-hmm. for Brett McGarry. Uh, we've been talking about the changing face of retail on this program probably since we we launched uh, about six, seven months ago. And the idea that more people are shopping online, but to a person, when I talk to folks, yeah, they enjoy the convenience of online, but the idea of having that option to speak to someone face-to-face is something they really like. And a lot of the retailers, uh, bricks and mortar, traditional retailers that are doing really well online are those that do pretty well in-store and have good in-store customer service, have good, if not better than average, return policies as it pertains to stuff that you purchase online. And that whole idea of combining the two experiences is going to be absolutely critical in my mind. And now, well, the king of online... They continue to push out uh, their storefronts. Amazon is experimenting with physical stores. They have been dabbling in physical retail since 2015, during which time it's opened a half dozen bookstores that double as Gadget Emporia. This is an article, by the way, from the Denver Post. And a score of campus bookstores that don't sell books and a convenience store without cashiers. For now, its efforts seem largely experimental, though that may not be true for long. Now, the company already uh, has a stranglehold on e-commerce. 90%, though, meanwhile, of worldwide retail spending is still in brick-and-mortar stores. But Amazon has the chance to change retail with automation and data mining technologies borrowed from e-commerce. But it is interesting that they're starting to push further into physical stores because a lot of stores will blame Amazon for ending their business, right? Without question. And uh, I think this is probably a vote of confidence for traditional retail. If Amazon is acknowledging that they need to have a physical presence, a place where you can go and actually talk to someone or touch and manipulate investigate gadgets that you might be wanting to buy. I think the strength strengthens the position of traditional bricks and mortar and traditional retail to say, hey, you know what? We do have a genuine place and we're not going away anytime soon. I That's what I think. 
I th- sorry, I got distracted. I think we my my email just made. I think that came from my computer. Not entirely, I think sir. it may have come from oh, my from, phone. Okay. from my iPhone. Okay. I forgot to flip off the little okay. switch there, so I apologize. Um, now it got me thinking. <laughs> Got me thinking that good old consumers distributors. Oh yes, they might have had it right in the first place. I used to get so excited about those catalogs, and I don't know why, because I I always thought it was such a weird shopping experience going to consumers, and you show up at the store, and and in in, in the store it was weird because all the catalog pages were laminated, so what was maybe an inch thick at home was like six inches thick at the store. And you had to flip through and write down the number and then hand it in while they took 20 minutes to go into their warehouse. They did. Do you rem- They actually did have a, a proper storefront of memory serves. They they took the, the wall off the warehouse, so to speak. They did it. it I think it was where Winners is at Regent and Rougeau. Really? I don't remember that, but that wouldn't have been my hood back then. So I think that's where it was, but it did. It was a short experiment. They mm. were because they had their their main storefront storefront uh, at on Nairn Avenue and at least for the one that I went right. to right and then uh, people out this end of town will remember Madison Square or on St. James Street before that near where uh, Canadian Tire is now maybe maybe the, can maybe the Madison Square is is the one that I'm thinking of okay i can't remember but uh i used to i would go there to buy the first thing i think i ever got there was a game for Atari 2600 <laughs> It may have been Yar's Revenge. This is a very specific memory. And then I remember later going back years later to buy Mortal Kombat for the Super Nintendo from Consumers Distributing. And uh, and then they they disappeared. Well, this five reasons Amazon is experimenting with physical locations out of the Denver Post, it mentions the fact that it's going to be and, and will provide a showcase and an opportunity for Amazon to have a showcase for gadgets and different things that they sell serendipity amazon's it's a third bookstore in october or opened rather near portland oregon and miriam Sant, ceo of powell's books in portland calls amazon's entry an acknowledgement of the inability of the internet to provide a certain retail experience that book buyers enjoy and this is on the heels, I don't know if you saw the article, I think it was in the free press this weekend, about the plethora of people who are dumping their e-readers for good old-fashioned books. Well, I, I love, I don't read, I should read more. I, my, too much of my, t- my time is monopolized by my television, but I should read more. And one of the reasons why I should read more is just because it gives me an excuse to go to the bookstore. McNally Robinson is oh, one of my favorite places it's a to great go. Spot. You get it just it's a, it's neat to just wander around and you, it's got that smell of a bookstore and uh, there's and one of the things that they point out in this article here is that people online customers tend to go go to a website knowing what they want. But if you go into a store, you might know what you want. I'm going to the store to buy whatever, but then you have room for spontaneous purchases. That happens to me all the time with magazines. Because some with those big stores like McNally, they've got like, I don't know how many thousands of magazines, but they've got these special edition whatever. So they'll, when Rogue One was in movie, in the theaters when it first arrived, 
uh, Empire Magazine and all these other fancy magazines from right. the UK do these like collectible sort of special feature yeah. editions, right? So there's like five of them on the shelf, and I and my eyes just kind of bugged out, and I thought, <laughs> oh my god, I was having a little bit of a geek moment. And I had to make a decision to spend which one of these magazines am I going to spend $25 on. So it wasn't that. I went there to buy one thing, and I walked out with three or four things. Well, a couple of the other things they outline in this article, uh, they make customers do the work, which I think we acknowledge that we're starting to do more and more of in a lot of the traditional retailers. I'm thinking about Costco in uh, particular. Retail technology. uh how they filled, fill orders at Amazon, right? A lot of it is electronic with robots. It's automated. In fact, some of the distribution warehouses, their technology is so good, their algorithm so precise that they can anticipate and predict which centers will need how many books, different articles ahead of time, anticipating which postal codes and zip codes will start ordering the different items so they get ahead of things. But this ties into something else that uh, we read over the weekend as well. And that's the idea of uh, personal interaction. We still like that personal interaction and that experience within shopping. So why don't we uh, take a pause, update the weather, and we'll continue to talk about the changing face of retail, including Amazon and the fact that they are opening physical locations. We'll get your feedback, 204-780-6868. Talk or test, it's a text. It's Mackling and McGarry. Talking a little bit about the changing face of retail and Maybe a little bit of a curveball and a surprise, although we've been talking about it for a few months. Amazon was denying for quite a while and then all of a sudden had these pop-up shops open, have uh, different stores where really they, they have no checkout uh, people, no cashiers. Uh, but they are really kind of going full bore now into this idea of having storefronts. And Brett and I are chit-chatting and we're talking this morning that this may actually be really good news for traditional retail. An acknowledgement from the online retail giant that says, yeah, you know what? You do need some face-to-face customer service at some point. I think it's, I'm wondering if it's, uh, call it a the, the pendulum swinging back, call it perhaps a byproduct of a revolt. And I know revolt is a strong word. Backlash? Pushback. Backlash is even a strong word as well. But that's the the general idea that maybe people are kind of saying, you know what, I don't, Maybe I don't want everything to be digitized, you know, so there is something, whether it's old fashioned or whatever, and I would count myself among those people. I like to go into a store and see what it is I want to buy. And because I like to hold it, I like to see it. I have from a, just from a personal standpoint, there have been issues where I have purchased things online and they turned out to be the wrong item or not as advertised where they didn't send me the wrong thing. It just wasn't appearing on their website as it is. Like the, I gave the example earlier, in case you didn't hear it. I ordered this hat that I wanted it to be black. It was black and blue on the website. Got it, and it's more of a black and purple. Not the end of the world, but it's not what I wanted. Had you seen it in person, that's not the one you would have picked. Exactly. I would have picked it up and said, oh, that's, man, eh, I don't really like that, and moved on. So for me, it's easier to just go to the store, look at it, make my decision there, rather than roll the dice on something online. 
Tim says, I think Amazon opening a bricks and mortar store will be great for returns of products ordered online, save shipping the product back to the supplier. And I think that you just outlined an, uh, an issue or a potential scenario where that could have been avoided in the first place. And if you had ordered it online and you had an easy place to take it back to, you, you maybe would have. Did you end up keeping the hat? I tried <laughs> I tried to sell it to a friend, but he didn't like the way it fit. So I ended up, it's it's now back in my possession. I keep meaning to wear it, but I, it's sort of at the bottom of the stack. Like, I don't know how, if you have hats, but the way I store them. <laughs> Do I have hats? I don't know. I, don't I, have, th- a, I have like a whole closet okay. full of hats. Well, I don't know. Jackie would, I, I just, I'm <laughs> channeling my inner Jackie there because <laughs> she would have responded with that gigantic gaping mouth laugh does he have does he have hats okay well i don't know how you store them but i tend to stack them yes and so like i'll put three or four hats one on top of the other so that hat is at the bottom so i keep forgetting it even exists right 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 so uh but there have been other instances where for example i remember buying a a book for my sister it was it was like this this dog picture book it was a really fancy book like a coffee table book yeah like the it was the size of like a pizza box it was a huge book and it cost i think 60 bucks in store and then i just checked it out online and it was like 35 dollars online so i was sort of faced with an instance where i thought i like buying in stores i like supporting in stores but how can i not make the decision to return this to the store and buy it online there are some t- sometimes where yeah you got to go with online but i in general i prefer to go to the store i think there's a lot of places that if you show them the price online on your on your phone yeah and you say hey any chance you can price match this or at least get somewhere close you never know what kind of luck you might have. That's maybe something I'll have to try. I have to tell you, um, you were giving a shout-out to Kingswood. I'll give a shout-out to our friends at Moore's. I bought a couple of suits and shirts and ties there uh, about three, four months ago. Yep. And I found out that the exact same suit that I'd already purchased, already paid for, already had the alterations done to, was on special somewhere else. I showed them the online special, and without any question. They said, absolutely, Mr. Mackling, we'll refund you the difference. There was no hemming or hawing. It was done immediately. Oh, that's great. And so, you know, that's the sort of thing. And as guys, we know that retail-wise, we are very loyal, and that's a great way to build loyalty, is to just step up the customer service and just say, yeah, you know what? We can help you with that. That's a great idea, and you're right. Loyalty is so important, and that's that kind of thing that can build loyalty for life. We're going to carry on this conversation. Greg mentioned a personal interaction, and I've actually got a couple of thoughts on that, including uh, maybe even the self-checkout. It's uh, coming up to 1.30. Global News is up next. Of course, we're telling you uh, about that uh, shooting in downtown Winnipeg, busy skywalk, more information starting to come through. Uh, There is every likelihood that we will be carrying a briefing from Winnipeg Police Headquarters at some point in the next hour or so. So keep it tuned. Keep it locked to 680 CGOB for the latest on that. That situation uh, downtown Winnipeg. I'm Mackling. He's McGarry. We're talking about the fact that Amazon is looking to continue its experiment with physical stores. Greg found this article from the Denver Post, denverpost.com, and they have, I mean, they've already conquered online retailing, but they've been kind of poking around with physical retail since 2015. Since then, they've opened half a dozen bookstores that double as gadget emporia and essentially the idea i think it's not necessarily so much to to have these 
bustling retail locations, but uh, a place where you can go and see the products, try the products, uh, particularly a showcase for gadgets. Like their bookstores, for example, the books are arranged on shelves face out, even though that takes up more space. Like they're not trying to have all of their inventory in their right. stores. Right. It's just a place where you can go in and, and kind of have a look. And if there's something you don't like or something that you want that's not there, then you can just order it uh, from your phone. But they're also devoting a lot of space to their e-readers, which is which is odd because you mentioned something earlier about people are dumping their e-readers. Right, and they're uh, going back to, tr- to traditional books. And uh, I think in our discussion in the newsroom this morning, we acknowledge the fact that some people uh, are going retro, right? People, what's old is new again. We've been talking about the fact that there's going to be a new record shop at mm-hmm. Polo Park and the fact that people are going back to purchasing vinyl. Uh, that's just one small example of what old is new again. And I think that there are, are other examples out there where people are embracing older technology. We've seen the articles about uh, certain individuals embracing the flip phone in order to just kind of get away from the bombardment of information that you get when you carry a smartphone. Can I just quickly interject for just a moment on that? I was uh, I went to see my friend, uh, the RZA, Keith, Keith Resler. saw him on Saturday and him and his wife, I look at, at the the mantle, and there was a flip phone. There was this old, beat-up flip phone, and I said, what is that? And then I knew what it was, but I thought, like, is that a, is that a functioning phone? And said, yeah, that, we don't have smartphones. And I thought, good for you. And I picked it up, and I flipped it open, and then I, I snapped it shut. And I said, oh, my God, that was so satisfying. I forgot, <laughs> you, you know, that, that kind of whack. The finality of slamming it shut and going, yeah, that's it. I'm done with that call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what? Things may not be moving as linear, linearly. Yeah, is that yeah. linear as linearly a linear, linear a fashion as we may have imagined? It's not in a straight line. <laughs> We're not on the road to hell necessary. Necessarily, we may be finding different things that we don't like about new technologies, about new ways of doing things, and they're being modified. Including that article I sent you about that cafe in Toronto who from the moment they opened said no Wi-Fi. We're creating a different sort of atmosphere here. We want people to interact with one another. You mean a coffee shop where you just go and have coffee? Interesting concept, right? The headline, we don't want to be an office. Cafe owners pulling the plug on Wi-Fi. By the way, if you have any thoughts on any of this, 204-780-6868 is the number to call. It is the number to text as well. You can email brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com. When hot black coffee, this is from the Globe and Mail, when hot black coffee opened in downtown Toronto a year ago, it took a risk few businesses would dare take in today's online-driven world. It turned off... The Wi-Fi. How dare you turn off my Wi-Fi? Every day, people come in and ask for it, says Jim or Jimson Benenstock, the cafe's co-owner. Still, he has not wavered. In the short term, yeah, it hurt us. It took longer for us to become established, but once we reached critical mass, it has become a self-fulfilling, virtuous circle. While most cafes offer free Wi-Fi... Uh, like places like Starbucks, McDonald's, Tim Hortons. Hot Black is among a small but growing number of independent coffee shops choosing to ditch or limit internet use. By not offering Wi-Fi, they're hoping to create more of a community atmosphere where people talk to each other instead of silently typing on their computers. What a novel idea. I think it's brilliant. A place where you can go and, and talk to 
other people. I wouldn't necessarily go there, but I think <laughs> it's brilliant in concept. Why is that? I just, when I'm out and I'm stopping, I don't drink coffee, but if I'm stopping for a tea, it's typically because I'm looking to combine certain activities. Mm-hmm. I need to get some work done, send an email or something. I guess I could work it off my phone, but if I've got my, if I've got my MacBook, I like to flip it open, get some stuff done. And like I say, life is so busy. It's sometimes impossible not to combine those activities, but I really respect the fact that here's a company who understands what their focus is, what they're trying to do, the role they're trying to play in the community, and they're sticking to their guns. Like I major high five, fist bump, whatever we do now to salute people that are doing the right thing. I, I give them all my best for that. I think it's wicked. They say people have socially taken for granted that the coffee shop is a workplace. We don't want to be an office. We wanted to do it old school and be a social hub. And it's not because we're trying to drive more business. People say, oh, you're just trying to turn more tables. That's not true. People sit here for hours. It's about an ambience and a social vibe. And Bows and Arrows Coffee Roasters offered all-day Wi-Fi when it first opened in Vancouver last summer. However, after a few weeks, owner Drew Johnson started to notice people walking in Mm -hmm. and then leaving because there was no place to sit between customers (laughs) working away on their laptops. On one Tuesday afternoon in particular, Mr. Johnson counted 14 people on their laptops on a communal table that seats 26. He says, you don't typically sit down by a glowing laptop or want to. On other days, the wide open space would be so quiet, except for the sound of tapping keyboards and the music. The staff would turn up the music so customers wouldn't hear them talking. So they ended up changing the Wi-Fi and laptop use policy, shut off the Wi-Fi during the busy dinner weekend brunch hours, and requests that customers working on laptops during those times be seated at the bar. So this, like you said, everything old is new again. I don't know if it's, you want to call it, talk about old-fashioned sensibilities or perhaps just... Uh, Maybe growing frustration with yeah. the fact that society is moving so quickly towards not chit-chatting with one another, spending time, not being alert, awake, present. You know, that, there can be pushback on these things. You know, you don't have to go like... Uh, like silent sheep into the wilderness uh, being led to the slaughter. You know, we do have a say on how these things work. And this is the age of empowerment for consumers. If there's something that you don't like about the way things are being done, speak up because the ability to know what's going on elsewhere has never been greater. And your power and your dollars are probably never been more valuable. Speak up and say, hey, have you ever thought about doing it this way? Patrick, let's speak up with you, sir. What do you have to say? Uh, I, I think it's kind of interesting, and I think that the uh, the, the take or the, the aspect to look at this is that we as retailers and consumers are, I think we're evolving more into a tactile-based consumer than we are uh, the necessity for a brick-and-mortar store, wherein, you know, with Amazon opening up their brick-and-mortars, we don't have the staff. Uh, I believe it was Greg that mentioned that you like to go in and touch and feel and see, right? Yeah, th- yeah, it was, think, it was one of the two of us. Yeah, I, I, I think def- we're both on that page. Yeah. And I think Brett was the only one who mentioned anything about the customer service at Moors. No, that was Greg who who had the, the Moors. I'm, 
That's okay, okay guys. That's but, okay. Don't worry about it. Um, we appreciate it. <laughs> the long and short of it is we don't want to we're, – we're so oversaturated by social media with dealing with people that we don't want to deal with people, but we do want to pick up and hold the product. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a brick and mortar store, but it's going to be driven by, well, essentially automation. You'll go in, you'll pick a few things maybe off the shelf or, or off of a screen and a robot will deliver them to you. You will ascertain that you, in, you, you like this product and then you'll purchase it probably via your Apple pay tap or credit card or whatever and walk out talking to next to nobody. So the fact that we're bringing in brick and mortar is okay, but, I, you know, being a retail manager myself, thinking that my staff are going to be obsolete in how many years still scares me. What kind of retail uh, do you manage, Patrick? Uh, it's a specialty hobby shop. Okay. Like, I just love the idea of, of maybe that the, down the road and, and maybe in the not too distant future, just combining the best of both things. Because I love customer service. I love the idea of a human being solving my problem for me and the idea also of having almost unlimited selection. Uh, same store, I'll mention Moore's again, went in the other day. I They have my size on file. They know what I like. I went in and they just didn't have the selection that I was looking for. Now, it wouldn't have worked the other day when I went in there, but what would have been nice is if I could have tried on the white shirt that was the sizing that I wanted, the cuff, etc. and they go, yeah, we'll send you the pink one, the blue one, and the purple one to your house. It'll be there. If this is Tuesday, it'll be there Thursday. I would have been all over that. Kind of that combination of uh, efficiency, getting the cost benefit and purchasing power of having that efficiency, but also the customer service, and I think that's a win-win. I, I would agree with that, but nothing that you specified is is better run by a physical in the flesh human being. All of that is better operated by automation. So I think as consumers, we need to reflect on what we prefer in in dealing with a, a flesh and blood human being. What do we like about talking with people? Is it the fact, and I think that it is, that we can then hold someone accountable for the reputation of the store instead of just that dumb machine. Interesting thought. Well, in that, that think about. I think that, that that maybe is the case for some people, but in in a in a in instance like yours, Patrick, where you you said you're running a specialty hobby shop, if I'm walking into a place like that, then there's a chance there's a there's a chance not necessarily, but there's a chance that I I sort of know the kind of thing I'm looking for and. I would want to talk to somebody who knows what they're doing and not just some kind of person who's working for, who's just working because they need a job. That is exactly it. And that is the only instance that I, I cannot advocate more for, for human flesh and blood customer service is specialty areas that I need help and assistance. But I don't know how many times I walk into a big box store and I spend forever trying to find someone to find a product. <laughs> yeah, and, and and here's it, Patrick. Let me. <laughs> this reminds me of an instance where I went to uh, uh, an electronics store, and it was a big box electronics store. And it was this was uh, like three years ago. I, it was I, I wanted to buy one of those picture frames that uh, were. It's like a digital picture frame, right? Where you can shove uh, I don't know how many pictures into the memory stick, and then it just it's. Right. A, so anyway, I asked uh, the girl who was working a question about it. And to answer the question, she says, uh, and then she, she grabbed the box out of my hand and looked at it. <laughs> like, I can read. Thank you. 
<laughs> and I mean, if you'd have done the, the spec research online beforehand and then went to said big box store to pick up and physically tactile feel the product, mm-hmm. look at it, examine it, see its size, then you would have purchased it. And we can omit flesh and blood through the entirety of that process. Well, Patrick, that's kind of a scary thought, but uh, I think you might be on to something there. So it scares me as a retail manager. It absolutely scares me. I have fantastic staff. I know they're listening. I have fantastic staff. Um, so it absolutely, it scares me to, to know what the next 10 years are going to bring in that regard. All right. Well, Patrick, uh, if you don't want to name your store on your call, feel free to send me a note, Brett at CGOB.com to let me know where uh, you are calling us from. All right. All right, guys. We'll see you later. All Thanks, right. Patrick. Thanks, Patrick. Appreciate the phone call at 204-780-6868. And feel free to offer your feedback at 204-780-6868, either via text or call. You can also email brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com. And just a heads up as well that the Winnipeg police will be holding a media briefing shortly after 2 o'clock regarding this shooting incident at 266 Graham Avenue. So we will be carrying that live here on 680 CJOB. In the meantime, your forecast is coming up next. It's 1.52 on this Monday afternoon. Hope you had a great weekend. Glorious day, of course. Yesterday and Saturday was pretty nice, too. Hopefully hopefully, uh, you're enjoying a little bit of the sunshine and the warmth this afternoon. Thanks for spending some time with us. Just after 2 o'clock, Brett, we have a special uh, news conference from the Winnipeg Police Service. Yes, they will be updating the situation that happened at 266 Graham in a skywalk. Uh, right by the public safety building, and there it sounds like this might be an officer-involved shooting. So we're going to get details from the Winnipeg Police shortly after 2 o'clock, and we will carry this news conference live on 680 CJOB. In the meantime, we have about four minutes left here. We are getting, we're talking about the fact that Amazon is looking to continue its experiment with physical stores. Uh, They've got a half dozen bookstores that they've opened since 2015. And they also are sort of dabbling with groceries where uh, customers can order their groceries ahead of time, I think, and then they just show up, pick up the groceries and leave. So that way they don't have to wander through the aisles. And we also ended up talking about this coffee shop in, uh, where is it, in tr- downtown Toronto that they opened and, and they, they don't offer Wi-Fi. I think the coffee shop is probably the first place that really started offering Wi-Fi, right? Free Wi-Fi to people. So here well, you the- had internet cafes. It was kind of yes. the first place where you went if you didn't have a computer where you could go and surf the internet. They kind of brought the internet into a retail sort of setting. And now you now people are starting to push back on it and say, no, we just want to have a coffee shop. So we got a text here from somebody who says, regarding coffee shop Wi-Fi, more and more people, including me, work from home, and a coffee shop is a way to get out of the house. I like the idea of a place that encourages social interaction because it means I don't feel as guilty about using a table for work at Starbucks (laughs) when I need a change of scenery for a while. That's that combination of things, right, that I was talking about. I wouldn't be into the... 
Wi-Fi less coffee shop because typically I'm combining two activities like this person is, right? It's a means to an end. You're getting out of the house, maybe stimulating your imagination if you're doing some writing, uh, the monotony, the boredom of being at home. We're social animals, as Carolyn Clausen says, we're wired for connection. So getting out, that, that can be a positive thing as well. Uh, those Wi-Fi hubs in restaurants and in coffee shops can be really good for getting people out of the house that might uh, otherwise just kind of stick close to home or in their houses. Here's another text. was in line at Safeway behind eight to ten other people, and my son asked me, why don't we use the self-checkout? I hope I gave him a life lesson when I told him those machines replace humans and make humans obsolete, and we can't support that. I think physical stores and human contact are the basis to make sure we don't shoot our economy in the foot for the future. Uh, thank you for that feedback. That came in at 118, so hopefully you're still listening. Uh, because I often, Greg, I often, it's almost like a moral sort of dilemma for me whenever I walk into the the, the grocery store. Do I use a self-checkout or not? Because I'm the guy who, much to the, the company's chagrin, I'm sure, I, I always... Ignore the hey, sign up for the automated pay stub because I just like the idea of I like a having a physical copy. Two, I like being able to support a job. Me too. But then I turn around and go to the grocery store and often use a self checkout. So I'm I feel like a huge hypocrite in that sense. But it's partially because they often only have one person on the on the till becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. So you've got five people standing in line to use the the see a person and then you've got four self checkouts that are all available. So you they make the decision quite simple for you, don't they? Yeah. And then they have that human that's there. Oh, come on, I'll show you how to do it. I'll teach you how to work me out of a job. I know. And when you put it in that frame, I right? feel super guilty <laughs> right. about it. That's really what they're doing. I'm going to train you to do my job so they don't need me for as many hours. I always, and I always I feel know that's a sinister way to look at it. The odd time I do that. I actually do, wait and and have someone do it for me it's always a nice interaction people are generally friendly uh, depending on the store there are certain stores where i have no problem using the self-checkout <laughs> last one not sure uh what you guys are talking about but i still shop only at real stores buying clothes online what a hassle when they don't fit ugh 157 on 680 cjob the news is coming up next. It's Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling on 680 CJOB. We are still awaiting a Winnipeg Police News Conference on a situation, a shooting that happened over the lunch hour. I believe in my newscast I said rush hour. Just tripped over my words there. It was during the lunch hour in the old Canada Post Tower on Graham Avenue. We can tell you that it was a Winnipeg police officer involved shooting, police officer having to shoot a civilian. We are still awaiting details on that as police and we can now go live to the Winnipeg Police News Conference. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you for attending such short notice. Um, obviously, you're aware of an event that occurred uh, at about 12.20 this afternoon on the second floor walkway here in the tower building where our headquarters is located. Uh, at that time, one of our on-duty members uh, was involved uh, in an incident where he... Uh, discharged a firearm. Uh, a male was shot and uh, has since been transported to hospital. My last update was he was transported in unstable condition. That's pretty typical at the beginning. I haven't had an update uh, since then, so I don't know what uh, his condition is now. 
Probably the most important thing here now for people is uh, uh, recognizing this as a critical incident. Uh, we have uh, notified the independent investigative unit. Uh, they uh, they are on on their way, and they will assume jurisdiction of the actual investigation going forward. So, um, given the close proximity to our headquarters and how recent this was, I thought it was appropriate to at least try to give you some information. Um, really, that's about all I have for you at this point. This has literally happened less than an hour and a half ago. So uh, we are kind of right in the midst. I'll answer what I can, but it'll be kind of limited. Can the officer just happen to be in the area? So I don't know the details of what brought the officer uh, specifically into the walkway, but it's not unusual for our members to use the walkway either when they're coming or going to work or when they take breaks. Sometimes they'll, they'll head out uh, of the building. So, But I don't know uh, the specifics of why the officer was in the walkway. Did it start at the subway and were police following a man I have no information on that at all, Caroline. Uh, uh, I, I know it occurred in the tower area, so uh, around the subway, but I don't know what led up to the uh, to the confrontation. Do you know if a security, sorry, you know if a security, if, if the officer and a security guard were together? And I, again, you're getting into details that uh, that I don't have at all, seriously. Uh, so um, certainly that information will come out when when the investigators kind of look at it right now, you know, our protocol, they have all the witnesses kind of upstairs uh, and, and they're all separated and waiting for IAU to attend here. Do you know if it was a uniformed officer? You know, I don't actually. And, and uh, uh, frankly, we have people in plain clothes and in uniform that come and go uh, into the walkway. So I, I don't even know who the officer is at this point that, uh, that was involved. Yeah, yeah, how many shots were fired? Don't know that yet. And the, the actual scene itself, you mentioned the walkway. Is that where it actually was? It wasn't inside of the doorway of a business or anything like that? Well, I, you know, I'm not certain about that, Mike. Uh, there's a bunch of businesses and restaurants along the walkway. I know we have it cordoned off right now. It's essentially, uh, you know, waiting for uh, uh, examination. So I don't know if it occurred in the public part of the walkway or if it's in one of the doorways. I'm not sure yet. Was the suspect armed with a weapon? Don't know yet. Uh, certainly, uh, uh, that will form part of the investigation. So just to explain the protocol when an incident like this happens, um, if it wasn't an officer involved shooting, I imagine your officers would quickly go to work as they would at any investigative type scene. But because it's officer involved, does everybody sort of put the brakes on anything they do and more or less just hold the scene? Um, that's overgeneralizing it. but. Uh, Typically what happens is uh, um, if it's an officer involved shooting, usually our homicide unit will get involved right away just to make sure that the scene is preserved, that the witnesses are identified and, and uh, uh, you know, separated. Uh, and then everything's kind of held for the IIU. We have a, an established protocol for to hand transition things over to IIU. Um, this is probably the first event that's occurred sort of during business hours, if you will. So. Um, you know, typically, or I shouldn't say typically, but up until now, um, the critical events that we've had uh, that IAU's taken jurisdiction, they've all happened sort of after hours. So um, I expect that the transition for IAU would be probably pretty quick here today. And just to follow up on that comment, can you speak to 
logistically and, and just what it means to have something occur, where this has occurred and the time of day it occurred, uh, obviously a very high traffic area. Yeah, you know, part of it's going to depend on the circumstances, which I really don't know what they are. I think in general what I can say is, you know, we do have a presence downtown. Our headquarters is downtown. That's a good thing. Um, certainly uh, downtown and downtown safety is an important uh, uh, goal for us. It forms part of our business plan. So, uh, again, I don't know what happened specifically in this event, but certainly our, our, our presence uh, uh, is, is, is going to factor in here. Winnipeg Police Chief Danny Smythe providing an update on a shooting that happened this afternoon in a skywalk located at 266 Graham Avenue, a skywalk attached to the public safety building, the headquarters of the Winnipeg Police Service. In case you are just tuning in, very few details were provided by Chief Danny Smythe saying that this investigation is being taken over by Manitoba's police watchdog, the Independent Investigations Unit, because this involved a police officer. It was an on-duty officer, a male officer, who discharged a firearm. Not sure at this point if it was a uniformed officer or not. Uh, we can tell you that one male was shot and taken to hospital in unstable condition. This just happened over the lunch hour, so it hasn't even been two hours since it happened. And they, but again, very few details. They can't confirm that it started at the Subway restaurant. No word on what led to this confrontation. Not even any word if there was a weapon involved, if this civilian had a weapon. So we, we don't really know a whole lot other than a police officer shot someone and the police watchdog is taking over the investigation. The incident occurring in the Skywalk, the former Canada Post building. A lot of people will be familiar with that Skywalk and even the exact location of the shooting within the different confines and different businesses that might be attached to that Skywalk. Uh, Chief Smythe was unable to fill in those blanks. So the details were really quite limited, Brett. So we are going to hopefully learn more on this throughout the afternoon, if not this afternoon, perhaps throughout the week as the Independent Investigation Unit gets involved. Uh, speaking of the IIU, actually, they're also investigating after a woman was hurt yesterday during an arrest. Uh, she broke her arm. Uh, Mounties were taking a drunk woman into custody in Beausajour, and during this arrest, she hurt her arm. Uh, hospital has confirmed there was a broken right upper arm. She's now at the Health Sciences Center. So the IIU had to step in. They step in anytime there is a serious injury involving police. It is coming up to time to check your forecast. And after that, we're going to the Forks weather next we have a new monitor at my station here and it feels like my microphone position has been altered somewhat really and so i'm i can't see all the words so i'm guessing a little bit here so my normally already awkward read is becoming almost impossible so i'll figure it out it'll be oh. good he's brett i'm greg hope you're having a great monday afternoon uh as mentioned we are all over the story from downtown uh the shooting in the skywalk an officer involved a shooting we just carried live uh the words of danny Smythe. not a lot of detail as much detail as they could give us at this point in the investigation on an ongoing investigation that will now be handed over to the iiu the end of independent investigative unit and we will bring you the details as they become pertinent and available. Mr. McGarry? We are now going to talk about the Forks because they're getting ready to make 
A fairly big change. Uh, so to tell us about this, we have Claire Mackay on the line. She is the Vice President of Corporate and Community Initiatives with the Forks North Portage. Claire, thank you so much uh, for this. And two lanes, Izzy Asper Way, are, are going to disappear. Is that what we're understanding here? Uh, well, they won't disappear. They're going to be repurposed. <laughs> Uh, we are taking, um, as part of our uh, rail side uh, development, which is the six acres, uh, which are currently surface parking lots across from the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, uh, we have a 20-year vision that includes uh, taking those parking lots and turning them into a mixed-use environment that'll um, make the forks into more of the forks, uh, for lack of a better term. And one of the first projects that we're looking at is uh, taking two of the lanes along Israel Astor Way uh, from York, which is what basically intersects uh, Railside and what used to be known as Parcel 4, um, and, ta- and reclaiming them. Um, because if you've come to the forks in the last few years, we have four lanes coming into a relatively small area. And what it ends up doing is it creates an environment where the car is king and pedestrians um, almost uh, are sort of a secondary thought. And the Forks was always developed with people in mind. And so the idea of having cars really coming quite quickly into or out of the site isn't necessary from a from a traffic standpoint in terms of the number of vehicles that we get. So we're reclaiming that space and uh, taking it and turning it back into the public realm and adding green space and adding um, active areas where people can play and where we can, you know, divert active transportation routes through as well. And I've been heard and I've heard this referred to as a linear park. Uh, this yeah. is, I think, an outstanding vision. It's a narrow parkway, as you say, Clara, just reclaiming those uh, two lanes of traffic and, and handing them back to pedestrians and cyclists and uh, back to Mother Nature to a certain extent. Right. The one complaint some people might have is that that already parking is in short supply. The long-term vision means uh, fewer parking spots. Will this eliminate some parking as well? This in particular, no. This is actually taking... Um, well, actually, no. That That's... Um we will take a couple of metered spots along there, but we do have ample parking uh, throughout the rest of the site in order to sort of take care of, of that. And really what we're finding over the last couple of years, we do surveys um, every year, and we've actually found that the ways people are coming to us, uh, the car is actually decreasing and active transportation is increasing exponentially. Um, in fact, last year when we added another leg to our uh, bike lane, we saw that bike traffic went up 30% even in just that one year. So we're adding another component of that bike lane this year, and we see that that's really the future of how people are, are starting to move specifically um, at the forks, but also in general transportation um, uh, trends are changing to the to the point where you know in a few generations the car may not be the the, the the biggest mode of transportation and all sorts of different ways to access the site right between the river walk when it's open and the fact that you've got upper Fort Gary on the other side of Main Street a lot of people are including a visit to that park to the yep. to the rail station the CN beautiful via station and uh, Union station and St Boniface all encompassed in terms of a visit down to the fork. So people are probably parking further uh, away, further afield, and then doing adventures on uh, by foot. 
Yeah, and I think that that's one of the things that, you know, we'll, we'll start to work on a little bit more in terms of um, talking to the public is that, you know, even though the forks, when people come, they tend to want to park as close to their destination as possible. There are things like Upper Fork Gary. Um, you know, we're working right now with the community of St. Boniface on um, creating a loop that brings you from St. Boniface behind St. Boniface Hospital over to the fork. So there's all sorts of additional ways to get to us. And right now, our office is uh, relocated to Union Station in order to start to create some of those linkages from the rest of downtown because we're, we're a little bit isolated in terms of those rail lines, um, but we're really a part of the greater downtown. So I think the sooner that um, we start to be able to reinforce those messages, um, the easier that becomes. And beautiful linear parkways are a really great way to do that. Claire, is this maybe a way to also uh, perhaps assuage some of the, the, the complaints that people have made over the years that the Forks has, has become a, a concrete jungle? This is kind of pushing back against that, so to speak. Well, and I think probably, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a longtime Winnipegger, so I remember what the Forks was like when we first took over. I wasn't here at the time, but, you know, it was an abandoned rail yard. Um, so the idea of green space, we are adding green space to our downtown. And right now, those two areas that um, we're talking about, the rail side and parcel four, are surface parking lots, which as I think most, you know, people would recognize are not the best and highest use of land, especially at the Forks. I mean, really what we've become is a place where four million people come every year for ton of different reasons. And so we want to add more of that. Um, And, you know, there are a lot of downtown green spaces, including the Forks. And so we believe we're we're looking at this in the best possible way to create more of the Forks. And for some people, that is the green space. For lots of people, that's the shopping, that's the dining, Um, you know, and in the future, that will be some people who, who want to live down here as well. So how quickly will this happen, Claire? And is there any uh, city council approval that needs to take place in order for this project to move ahead? Or is this a, is this a done deal? Uh, well, we've been working with the city of Winnipeg and uh, the province of Manitoba and the federal uh, government throughout this entire project. We've done extensive public consultations over the last three years. Uh, we do have on our website all of the information that we collected from uh, those consultations, and we will be working closely with all of those levels of government as well as with the city um, and, and its inhabitants and stakeholders. We will be launching a design competition. This is sort of the first phase of, of the, the, a very long process. This is a 20-year vision. This is not something that's going to pop up overnight in terms of the, the development side of things. This is definitely something that we're going to take mindfully um, and slowly and uh, do with the utmost um, respect for uh, the people who already visit us um, to create a better environment for them. So the design competition will go at the end of June uh, with the hopes that we'll have something to show uh, later this year. We have archaeology to do as well. Um, as, as you know, that this is, a, this is an important site when it comes to its heritage. Um, and so we'll, we'll be doing everything um, as, as it should fall, which is quite mindfully. Um, but yeah, hopefully we've got some fantastic new images to show of what this linear parkway could look like and uh, what the public can expect by the end of this year. And one more question, Claire. Uh, sure. and I know we've just had our first spectacular weekend of the year, so the, the last thing I want to think about right now is winter. But this probably, I would imagine, would give you some more opportunities to do some neat stuff in the winter. 
Yeah, I mean, I think what's been great over the last couple of years in particular, especially with the Red River Mutual Trail and with warming huts, is um, it's almost like there's been a collective shift in thinking in terms of Winnipeggers. Um, We really have become quite an exotic place for visitors to come in the winter, and programming plays a large part in that for us at the Forks, but also that's going to flow through our design as well, because we are a winter city. We do have four distinct seasons, and so we don't want um, any of this to be a place that's only to be enjoyed for our short but spectacular summers. We want it to be something that can be enjoyed year-round, so that's definitely going to be part of the mix. Exciting news in my mind, Claire. Thanks for uh, outlining the details, and we look forward to learning more about this exciting aspect of uh, this future development of one of our favorite places in the city. Thanks so much. Claire Mackay, she's Vice President, Corporate and Community Initiatives with the Forks North Portage. Your news is coming up next on 680 CJOB. 2.34, Monday afternoon. I'm Greg, he's Brett. And Brett, as you know, and many listening will know, I co-host the Health Report on behalf of the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation. And uh, for years, we've been talking about the different types of research that might one day turn into either uh, changes in our health uh, directly through uh, the way we do things. Maybe it's a different procedure. Maybe it's a medical procedure. Maybe it's a food, how we eat a food. And Dr. Michelle Alpha is someone that I've spoken to many times over the years. She has a very interesting nickname, She's known in some circles as the queen of poop because of her work with C. difficile. Uh, a fantastic work that she's done over the years. And Michelle, I know you wear that uh, nickname with a lot of pride because uh, you're the one that told me in person that that's your nickname. Uh, that's right, Greg. And primarily I wear it with pride because it was totally unexpected from me and um, uh, quite funny. And it, it puts a little bit of humor into some of the more serious research that we do. But yes, I do wear it with pride. <laughs> so I apologize for uh, for introducing you this way on something that is so exciting. Uh, but you have such a pedigree in uh, the medical research world in terms of making things better. I think you're, you're, the work that you do is so proactive. Uh, talk about M. MS prebiotic and and gut health in particular? Yes, the uh, MSP rebiotic is a a compound which is a digestion-resistant starch, and the clinical study that we did actually provided the scientifically sound data to show that it it truly is a prebiotic, um, which essentially is the food for the good bacteria. And furthermore, the study showed that um, uh, people that were taking the MSP rebiotic, the bifidobacteria levels in their gut actually increased uh, significantly regardless of age. So the 30 to 50-year-olds had a nice big bump in the amount of bifidobacteria, and the elderly population, the 70 years and older, the same thing happened. And that's really exciting because in many instances, we eat probiotic um, yogurt or pills, and we're basically ingesting those types of organisms. And our study is the first to actually show that this particular digestion-resistant starch can stimulate your own internal um, bifidobacteria. And that's very, very exciting. And you get the health benefits from it without having to necessarily add in the, the probiotic. And particularly in the elderly age group, because that's when our gut microbiome starts to deteriorate. So the clinical study on many levels actually was uh, quite exciting and has some very interesting results. Dr. Alpha, what is bifidobacteria? Can you just elaborate on that a little bit? 
That's a, that's a good question. You know, microbiologists love the names of bacteria. I think of them very similar, like they're like my, my buddies or my children, and they're very <laughs> foreign to most other individuals. Um, bifidobacterium, um, are it's a name for a microbe, and that particular microbe is seen in, in many of the studies that have been done to be a very good or beneficial bacteria um, because what it does is when you increase the level of that particular type of microorganism, the end products from the the bifidobacteria, when they degrade compounds like digestion-resistant starch, uh, which is what they do, they help ensure that we get, like we get 10 to 15% of our energy from bacterial degradation products. And bifidobacteria and lactobacilli are two of the good bacteria uh, that help us with our digestion, help ensure we get um, that uh, increase in energy that we only get from the bacteria and the end products actually ensure the health of the inside lining of our, our gut layer. So the colonocytes that are there, uh, their main source of energy comes uh, from the bacteria in the gut. We're talking about MS Prebiotics, Inc., a privately held natural health product company. It's based here in Manitoba and excited to announce results from their clinical trial have been accepted for publication in the highly respected Journal of Clinical Nutrition that will shake up the emergency field of prebiotics, or pardon me, the emergencing, or one more time, I'll get it right, emerging field of prebiotics. And Michelle or Dr. Alpha, this company is headquartered, and I think I know the reason why, but it's headquartered essentially in Carberry, Manitoba. Yes, you're correct. Uh, certainly it's a grown in Manitoba project and a grown in Manitoba product, that's for sure. <laughs> So why Carberry? Does it have to do with potatoes? Uh, yes, the the, uh, the extract or the active ingredient that they use in the MSP rebiotic, the digestion-resistant starch, um, is actually derived from uh, the potato. And uh, yes, so Carberry is a natural fit for it. Um, so yes, it's a, it's a great link. MSP rebiotics, and forgive me if this has already come up, but can you just sort of refresh my memory as to how did this come about? I don't want to use the word, how was it discovered? But a lot of times when things are sort of discovered, it's kind of by accident. So how did you become aware of MSP rebiotic? Well, it's, it actually is a really interesting uh, story. Um, I, I can't answer for the company, but I can tell you that they started providing it as a food additive in the animal industry. And what they found was it actually, um, I mean, I grew up in a farm in rural Manitoba too, and we all know piglets get scours where they get diarrhea. And um, some of them die uh, off because they get so sick from it. And what the company found was that if they added some of this extra uh, into the food for the pigs and the piglets, uh, particularly the sows, they could prevent the rate of scours. And you and I both know that uh, when you're farming, uh, you want to have something that actually works. And if it doesn't work, you don't use it. And so I think initially the uh, finding was that they had done some research and showed that it actually prevented some of these types of gastrointestinal infections in animals. And therefore they used it, the extract was used as a um, an a supplement to the food for some of these animals, and they found that it really does
does work. And that's actually, um, I think, where they realized that there was a lot of benefits from this. They didn't know what they were, and they didn't know if they would have the same benefits in humans. So uh, it might be better to ask the company how they discovered it, but my understanding is that uh, they they kind of uh, realized the benefit in animals first, and they had such wonderful success there that they wanted to look at would there be benefits in humans as well. Uh, Jeff Courier mentioned the fact, you know, that uh, we see probiotics uh, advertised in connection to yogurt. You kind of mentioned yogurt in our opening uh, question and back and forth. And this whole idea of gut health seems to be something brand new. It's obviously uh, something that you've been working on for a long time. But is the public's understanding, Dr. Alpha, of the role that gut health plays in our overall health really coming to light in, in the last handful of years? I would say yes, because uh, if you ask 10 people on the street if they heard the word uh, probiotic, a lot of them, I think the majority would say they have, um, they don't necessarily... Um, know the, I guess, the kind of the scientific basis bef- behind how the health benefit is a, is a acquired. And there's a lot of misunderstanding of what's a prebiotic versus a probiotic. Um, but I, I, I would agree that um, as uh, there's a, a huge portion of our population that are in the elderly age group, myself included, and I think we're more and more looking at um, staying healthy for a longer period of time. So I do think the general public is more aware of it, but they are searching for, I think, um, solid information and solid scientific uh, studies done to show out of the many products that are out there, which are the ones that have actually had clinical trials done to actually prove uh, any type of health benefit. And Health Canada, too, for label claims, I think they're becoming much more stringent in terms of making sure there's studies done to show the scientific basis of the, the health benefit as well. Would it be, can I just ask you simply, what is the difference between a prebiotic and a probiotic? Uh, Sure. Um, The probiotics we've kind of uh, alluded to, and they're actually live bacteria. So if you eat yogurt or you eat those probiotic pills, you're actually eating live bacteria. And those live bacteria are, quote unquote, the good ones like bifidobacteria, lactobacilli. Um, So they're organisms that are good ones that provide us with extra energy. They help uh, keep the gut healthy. And a prebiotic, on the other hand, is a digestion-resistant complex starch. And if you think of it simplistically, it's the food for the good bacteria. So if you have a prebiotic there, um, the, the, the good bacteria like bifidobacteria, lactobacilli, they like to degrade that as their, uh, it's like saying I like hamburgers. Well, the prebiotic is providing me with not just a hamburger, it's a, a juicy cheeseburger that I can actually chew on. And so the prebiotic feeds and increases the level of the good bacteria like um, the bifidobacteria in your gut. So I hope that clarifies it. One's, one's like a, a digestion-resistant starch. It's a, a product or a component that the bacteria, the good bacteria, the, the, the probiotics like to eat. Well, no, and it's, I thank you for answering that question, Dr. Alpha, because I know that you did sort of had already explain it, but uh, it's been a while since I sat through a science class and I wasn't, I don't remember being very good at it. So uh, sometimes it's nice to just kind of have you simplify it for me. And thank you. I appreciate that. No problem. So health claims, as we've learned over the years, and you touched on this as well, have become increasingly difficult to get. So this research will allow, I'm guessing, uh, MSP, Rebotic, uh, that health claim and get it closer to being able to say quite succinctly what it does and the benefit of a product that is already on the market? 
Uh, yes, that's true. But keep in mind that Health Canada and the regulations around getting a, a label claim or a health claim are quite stringent. And so this is the first clinical uh, study that's been done in humans to show what the impact is on the microbiome and on things like, um, you know, glucose metabolism, et cetera. Um, they, the the uh, company will probably end up doing some additional clinical studies because you need at least two clinical studies to be able to get a health claim um, as a label claim on a product. So this is the first stepping stone. It's kind of the major one because it's the first clinical study with this product in humans, but they probably will do um, um, a few more before they get an actual label claim. Um, the product has been commercialized because, of course, as you know, natural uh, food products uh, uh, can become uh, commercialized with or without, uh, usually without label claims, but this one actually has been taken to fruition and has been commercialized, and they obviously will start putting the label claims on once they've satisfied Health Canada's requirements for the number of clinical studies to substantiate that type of claim. And this flavorless powder is supposed to be uh, better for your energy, create all sorts of uh, different health benefits. It's uh, vegan approved, gluten-free, non-GMO, caffeine-free, and uh, made right here in Manitoba. This is very exciting news, and this is one of those things that when we first start talking about medical research, that can be a little bit boring, a little bit dry. Why are we doing this? Uh, but there's a health benefit, but also potentially a real benefit to the economy of Manitoba down the line, Dr. Alpha. Yeah, I mean, I'm not the I'm not the company representative or anything, and I'm not a company I'm not a business person. But you're absolutely correct because um, the, there obviously has been a market for this product in the animal industry for an awfully long period of time, and this will open up uh, uh, getting into the human side of nutrition. And so you're right; it will actually um, provide, I think, um, um, economic uh, uh, increases in Manitoba, which, from my perspective, is very exciting to see. Dr. Michelle Alpha, thank you so much for taking some time with us today. I feel much smarter every time I get to speak with you. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. You're very generous in your praise. <laughs> Dr. Michelle Alpha is a researcher at the Albertson Research Center at St. Boniface Hospital. She led the collaborative study that evaluated daily consumption of MSP rebiotic versus a digestible cornstarch placebo over the course of a 12-week trial in middle age, 30 to 50-year-old. Uh, sorry, Brett. Sorry to kind of group you in there with the middle-aged folks and the elderly over 70-year-old individuals. And this uh, study has shown that uh, there is a, a genuine uh, benefit to uh, gut health uh, for participants. I also like that her nickname is the Queen of Poop. Shows that she has a, a good sense of humor. And can all, that I, that kind of thing, I think, can also disarm certain topics when you're studying something like as complicated as she's doing it, she's just kind of breaking it down to something rather simple. Without question. And I also wanted to point out elderly individuals taking the product saw significant and meaningful decrease in blood glucose levels and insulin resistance. Increased blood glucose and insulin resistance are both parameters associated with the development of type 2 diabetes. So this is fascinating stuff at a Manitoba company to boot. In King Spud country, is that what they call? King Spud, that's right. Carberry, Manitoba. 248, 680 CJOB forecast. Up next, Brett McGarry with Craig Mackling on 680 CJOB. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Coming up, we still, before I forget to tell you, not right now, but we do have tickets to give away for the Winnipeg Wine Festival. So we're going to do that in the next hour at some point. I'm thinking perhaps around 315, but you never know where we're going to do it. You ever been to the, you've been to the Wine Festival, yeah? Mm-hmm. I don't remember when I was there. 
<laughs> so you had a good time then? Apparently. <laughs> I don't, like, I'm not an indulger so much as I was once upon a time. And so when I make plans to uh, have a good time, I go all out. Yep. Yep. You're all in. I'm all in, baby. The first time I went to the wine festival, well, I want to say it was 2010-ish, and it was the Saturday afternoon one. So that And that's what we're going to have tickets for, for the Saturday afternoon showing, because they have a Friday tasting, Friday night tasting, Saturday afternoon, and then Saturday night. And we, and I remember thinking, do should we take a cab? Should we drive to this? And we were going from the Osborne Village, so we weren't far from the convention center and said, ah, let's take a cab because, you know, it's alcohol and who knows. Because I was expecting to go there and have a couple of sips of wine and be done with it. (laughs) (laughs) Silly boy. (laughs) That's not how it works. Yeah, within, I think, an hour, we both had to stop and, and go and get in line to have something to eat because it sneaks up on you. Oh, boy. No question about I know that. They have those buckets where you can spit the wine out. That's no fun. That, well, that's, yeah, that's, it's kind of gross for one. But two, yeah, you're all, you're right. It's, it's no fun. If you're going to pay 60 bucks for the buffet, yes. then indulge in the buffet. That's right. That's right. No, it's a great <laughs> event. And of course, wine's become such a huge part of the culture. We've been having that conversation on and off since we started this program together. I feel as though we talked about this last week, the idea that uh, any wine you like is a good wine, uh, but the Wine Festival is a great opportunity to get out, get exposed to some wines that maybe you haven't otherwise tasted, uh, exposure to the different uh, wine-growing regions, not only in Canada, but around the world, uh, how to spot a wine and how to figure out why you like it. Sometimes that's key, right? Mm -hmm. To figure out why do I like a certain kind of wine and then identifying the different characteristics of the wines that you do like so you can broaden your horizon. I don't know, like I know a lot of people who carry a wine journal because they're trying to, to expand their... I guess the number of wines that they've tasted and mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's a kind of, it's a great way to do it is to keep track of, of what you like and what you've tried and what you don't like it maybe just as importantly. Well, and it could also be good to know in that journal, what you have consumed maybe beforehand in the in the terms of food or mm-hmm. what sort of smells are in the air because certain wines might go great with some foods or whatever. And maybe they don't go so good with other things because I remember specifically I really enjoyed, there was a port wine that I really enjoyed at the wine festival, but I had already tried like 20 different wines, so I don't know. Anyway, I really enjoyed this port, so we went and and ordered it after. You can get in line and buy all the wines that you like, and then you can go pick them up at some, yeah, I think that's how it works. You can go later pick them up at at the store, and I didn't like the port when I got home, so I don't know if it was because uh, my, my palate had just been kind of polluted by so many different wines at the time because they do have there's those uh there's stations where you can have a piece of bread and a glass of water which apparently helps cleanse your palate i don't know i don't know you do know you do know you're doing really well on that yeah (laughs) i'll never forget the the time we did a wine tasting with uh, jim jaworski over at the keniston wine market i'll give him a shout out and uh, when I was back in my earl earl's days and we were doing this really intensive wine training and i'm like Jim, is it possible that I smell gasoline as one of the underlying smells and bouquets in this wine? And he said, absolutely. It's unbelievable when you break it down. If you do an actual really intense wine tasting seminar with some of these things, 
some of the specific smells and aromas that you can pull out of a glass of wine uh, you never, ever imagined would actually be there and be present in the first place. So that was the most startling one for me that I ever had was the fact that I smelt gasoline and had someone who knows just a tiny bit about wine say, yeah, absolutely, you smell that in there. Is it supposed to be there? Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's just a, a description of that fragrance. And it, so it's there. I mean, don't you remember the scratch and sniff stickers of gasoline? No. Did you ever see that one? It had a car and a gas pump on it? I don't think so. Uh, well, that was one of the more popular ones, let me tell you. I'll have the wine that smells like gas, please. <laughs> News is next. You're a good barometer for stuff. You know that? No, not necessarily. Yeah, I think you are, actually. He's Brad. I'm Greg. It's Macklingham and Gary. We're here till 4 o'clock. Then it's Julie and Richard. We'll have the news until 7 o'clock at 9 o'clock. Our good friend Charles Adler steps in to... Uh, well, he's from Vancouver, so he's not stepping into the studio, but he uh, steps onto your air- airwaves nine till midnight every Monday through Friday. And uh, so we really look forward to having you stick around uh, through the evening when you can join us. And we were having this conversation about the wine festival. We're going to have tickets to give away this hour. And I mentioned to you, Brett, that I had once had an experience where I could actually smell gasoline or petroleum in the wine. So you looked at me with a little <laughs> bit of doubt. Well, it's not entirely appetizing. And I, I'm, I wasn't doubting that you could smell it, but I thought, would I, would I want to drink a wine that smells like gasoline? Well, I went to winespectator.com. Okay. Dr. Vinifera, just call him Vinny, Dr. Vinny, asked me your toughest wine questions from the technical aspects of winemaking to the fine points of etiquette. I hope you find my answers educational and even amusing. Looking for a particular answer? Check my most asked questions and my full archives. You can follow me on Twitter at AskDrVinny. Okay. So, Dr. Vinny, what causes the petrol smell in some wines? Dear Jim, Ooh. the whiff of petrol, kerosene, gasoline, or paraffin that can be found in wines like Riesling is because of a chemical compound as TDN one one six trimethanol and uh, one and two dehydrofen. Yeah, I'm not trying that. Dehydronophilathylene, something like that, <laughs> <laughs> which can form as a byproduct of a wine's aging process. While some might find it strange, I love that distinctive note, especially if it's in balance with other elements. I've heard that it becomes more pronounced in grapes that are very ripe or dehydrated, but both of those things concentrate all types of notes in wines, not just the petrol ones. Well, look at that. Dehydronophilathylene. Man, oh, that, that wasn't is, bad. That wasn't it, bad. Yeah. Did, did, you, did you find it? Uh, no, I'm not even oh, okay. trying to look that up. Okay. Well, you, you're better at chemistry than I am. So there you go. So there's that. There's that. Okay. Okay. And then there's the idea that maybe no one has heard the story about the fact that uh, at the Edmonton Oilers game last night, Brett Kissel went out to perform the Star Spangled Banner. Okay. Apparently had a technical issue. Oh, really? And then this happened. Oh, not quite working. At least in his mind, it's not working. Hey, is this working? <laughs> yeah, it's Let's working on TV. Oh, sorry. Oh, 
That's an abbreviated version. But 18,000 plus at the arena in Edmonton last night took over when Kissel's microphone didn't work. And they sang the Star Spangled Banner without any lead, without any, as far as I know, any lyrics on the giant screen. (laughs) And this has, of course, created quite the furor, quite the storm of pride for Edmontonians and Oilers fans and many Americans very impressed with the fact that uh, Edmonton fans stood up the way they do. They already have their main um, uh, singer, anthem singer, stands in the crowd and has been doing so since the beginning of the playoffs, singing O Canada. He only sings the first verse, and then he hands it over to the crowd to sing the rest of O Canada. Oh, yeah? Their True North, by the way, shout out, needs a little bit of work. It's not very good in Edmonton. Okay. Uh, but uh, they do an amazing job, and now uh, it happened that a technical glitch uh, creates this magical moment. So Patrick Maroon, this is from uh, globalnews.ca in Edmonton. Uh, he's originally from St. Louis, member of the Oilers, says, as an American, for Canadians to sing, the national anthem was pretty special to me. They should all be proud, and it certainly got me going. And Todd McClellan, the head coach of the Oilers, at first thought, uh, didn't realize that there was a technical issue. He thought that it was another way to get Oilers fans involved in the game. He said it was further proof of the passion that comes from Oilers fans. Yeah, that that that's neat. I, the the fact that they were able to jump in so quickly too is impressive. But I because I, I think it's one of those anthems that you might not know the whole thing, but I think we all have heard the anthem so a many times. Of, a lot of Americans don't know it. Yeah, that's true. Well, I I I always uh, think of Leslie Nielsen having to sing it on the spot in The Naked Gun where he says and the bombs in the air <laughs> when he had to pretend he was this famous opera singer that's right. and had to umpire a baseball game. I had not heard that last night. So there you go. So that's why I said off the top, sometimes I think you're a good barometer for these things because your focus is different than mine. And so if you hadn't heard about this, there's a good chance that others listening to us this afternoon didn't hear the audio, hadn't even heard the story. And so if you had heard about it, I apologize. If you haven't, uh, there you go. Thank uh, Brett McGarry for us playing that for you 24 hours or 22 hours or so after the fact. Yeah, it's a neat story. It doesn't matter if it happened almost a full day ago. And the, the, the Oilers lost that game, though. Yes, They did. They lost 6-3. to three. They were down 3 nothing. They came back and tied it 3-3 three, three, and then uh, ended up losing 6-3. Can I make a confession, though? Yes. I, I'm convinced that that was completely staged last night. You think so? I do. Really? Yeah. You think... That they had staged as in they worked with the people in the crowd or what? No, they just, they, I think that the malfunction was overstated. And I think that this was a plan all along to have the fans sing the anthem. That's just my personal opinion. Is that your anti, is that your anti Edmonton bias coming out? How did you know? (laughs) It's looking for a reason to dump on the oiler fans. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It is coming up to 314. That means traffic and weather together are next. We've been following the story of the shooting downtown. The officer involved shooting at the uh, Skywalk in the old Canada Post Tower, which is essentially attached to the 
New Winnipeg Police Service headquarters. We carried that uh, news conference with very few details, but all the details that were known at the time, uh, just after 2 o'clock. Uh, we will update you on that story throughout the afternoon. We also spoke with Claire Mackay from the Forks North Portage to tell you about the fact that two lanes of Israel, Israel Asper Way will be disappearing to make way for more green space at the Forks. I think it's a great idea to reduce the uh, footprint uh, for vehicular traffic and to you know make the Forks that much more enjoyable for pedestrians and, and those that are on foot and that are, are cycling as pedestrians are on foot by the very definition. But I, th- I think it's a great idea. I like it too. I don't... Uh... One of the, I mentioned when I posed the question to Claire that some people have complained over the years that it's become kind of a concrete jungle, the Forks. And I, I was one of those people who used to lament, wow, there was so much space. It was a gathering place. Right. I remember going to watch the Tragically Hip perform a concert there years ago. This was for, what was it? Uh, was it War Child? It was War Child. You're correct. We're talking like 15 years ago, maybe 20 and a hundred thousand people were there. If if my memory is serving me correctly, there that- are so now there are certain people who've done the math who say that it would be impossible for that amount of people to be down there. But there were tens of thousands, absolutely, for that concert. I'm I'm pretty sure that 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 number specifically jumps out though. So I don't know if it was Al at the same time or if. There were 100,000 people who turned out, and I'd have to do some fact-checking. I'm just pulling this off the yep, top of nope, my head. Absolutely. If, if you were looking to refute, uh, kindly refute what I'm saying there without actually telling me I'm wrong, I, I'm getting the impression that's what Greg was doing there. No, I'm not telling you wrong. That, that, that most of the reports back then have since been disproven as impossible. Oh, okay. Those were original estimates. There were tens of thousands of people down there, but sixty or eighty or a hundred thousand people, just based on the size of the site, uh, apparently is impossible. And okay. there are some pretty reputable journalists that have done the math on that. But you're correct. Okay. I don't even know where I was going with that now. Just how much you enjoyed being down there, what a people place it is, the fact that some people have lamented over the years, the fact that the Forks has become more commercialized. Oh, yeah. That's right. And, and it- I mean, that ship has sailed. I'm not complaining about it anymore, but it was something that I once lamented, but and now they, they've done. I mean, it's, a, it's such a neat place, but it's hard to get cars in there in the first place, so why, make, why not just make it... We don't need four lanes of traffic. It's not a major thoroughfare. It's leading into a, a visiting place, so just make it like any other parking lot where it's one lane in, one lane out. I got no problem with that. More green space, too. That makes it even better. It'll make it far more appealing because right now when you first drive in, if you're coming off of York or if you're coming off of Waterfront, when you get to that intersection where York sort of enters the picture, it kind of, it's not a particularly friendly image. I'd agree with you on that. And a lot of people will use the fact that that's a divided roadway to make a U-turn to get, find their way onto Provence, to cross the Provence Bridge during the the evening rush hour because there's only one left turn lane on York. And so some people will turn right. They'll go a little bit ways down Israel Asper way. And then I almost used a terminology I can't use on air, make a U-turn and come back up Israel Asper way and get into the queue to turn on to Provence eastbound. So it'll, it'll prevent that from happening as well.
I'm curious about that term, so I'll have to talk to you <laughs> off the air since you can't use it on the air. Uh, still to come this afternoon, we have those prizes to give away for the Winnipeg Wine Festival, so make sure you wait for your cue to call. We have some wine-related trivia. We will also hear from Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham to tell us what is coming up on the news. We will hear from them at uh, roughly 345-ish, somewhere in the 345-350 range as we do on a daily basis. In the meantime, Time we have your forecast and sports all coming up next. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you. 3.38 on this Monday afternoon. Brett, you want to give away something? It's prize time. This week, we have two tickets to give away every day for the Winnipeg Wine Festival tasting event at the RBC Convention Center for this Saturday. From 1 until 4. That's important to note because there are three public tasting events. Friday night, Saturday night, Saturday afternoon. We are giving away tickets for the Saturday afternoon tasting from 1 until 4. For the trivia this week, at least for today, maybe we'll switch it up, but I thought we could find clips from movies or TV shows that have to do with wine and need you to identify the film or show that clip is from. Here is today's clip like some wine with your nose. Cheese. Wine. We'll be fine. What was that from? 204-780-6868. Should I play it again? You want me to play it again? <laughs> I gotta figure it out. You play got it. it already? Play it again. Play it again. Okay. Maybe you'd like some wine with your nose. Cheese. Wine. We'll be fine. <laughs> 204-780-6868. If you can identify that film... You're going to the Winnipeg Wine Festival Good Saturday afternoon. One. Good one, Brett McGarry. I, uh, I I would like to say that it, it that came from a place of knowledge or something that I had mined in the deep caverns of my brain, but I honestly just Googled movie wine clips. <sighs> so that's where that came Why from. Why did you tell me that? Ah, I like you, to demystify things. Where do you want to go? Do you want to go somewhere positive or somewhere kind of frustrating? Positive. Okay. Atlanta Falcons wide receiver Sanu shares heartwarming letter from plane passenger. This uh, came out a few days ago that Mohamed Sanu was embedded in his airplane seat studying the Atlanta Falcons playbook. He didn't know that a young fan was watching. Luckily for Sanu, he always carries himself like someone else viewing his every move. The Falcons wide receiver was on a flight last week when a 10-year-old boy and his family happened to be sitting behind him. He stuck to studying his plays, eating some snacks while being polite to the other passengers. The family took notice of his actions and sent him a gracious letter in response. Hi. The letter started. It's a good place to start, right? You don't know us, but we wanted to thank you. Our son sat behind you on this flight and watched you. He saw you studying your plays, watched you make healthy choices with your snacks, food, and drink. He watched how polite you were to everyone. He is only 10, but just made an elite hockey team, and we were on our way to training in Connecticut. You are an inspiration to children, and for that, you should be proud. Thank you, and best of luck, the family that sat behind you. That's really really sweet. And it's funny, when you first presented this to me, you presented me with a copy of the letter, before the story. Right. So I read it and I th- I thought, well, this sounds like it involved some sort of professional athlete, but I don't and know. You, you were right. Sanu posted the letter to his Twitter account, including the caption, this definitely put a smile on my face. 
the little things. A 27-year-old wide receiver had three or 653 yards, four touchdowns on a career-high 59 receptions in 2016. His first season with the Falcons, he had 1,793 yards and 11 touchdowns on 152 catches in his first four NFL seasons for the Cincinnati Bengals, and he had a couple of catches for 25 yards in the uh, Falcon Super Bowl loss to the New England Patriots. Well, it's interesting that the child, this 10-year-old, would notice that Sanu was making healthy snack choices. Uh, as, I mean, I'm just thinking of, it doesn't matter if I what, what age I am, but certainly as a child, the last thing I would be thinking is, oh, he's eating carrots or whatever. I'd, I'd be saying, pass the chips. Where are the chips? Well, Do you, you have any <laughs> chips on this plane? <laughs> Where are the chips on this Monday to Friday plane? <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the mother obviously had a little bit, of, little bit of influence on this letter being written and the content, I suspect. Mm-hmm. But also, I think it was neat that they didn't look for any sort of fame. They didn't put their name, the family name on it. You, they had to know that there was a chance that this football player might post this on social media. Yep. So they didn't look for any fame. And the idea that they knew that he was a football player and they didn't bug him. That's true. This guy was this young boy was obviously a fan of Sanu's and uh, didn't make a big deal out of it. So there, there's a lot of um, heartwarming aspects to this story. No, you're right. That's an interesting observation. They showed some respect to let them let the guy just do his work in mm-hmm. peace and leave him alone. And I, I think it does stand to the importance of there's that sort of age old argument: are athletes or celebrities really in general, are they role models? Some will say, no, parents should be the role model. And if you're counting on athletes to be role models, then maybe you're a bad parent. Are you thinking about someone in particular as you utter those words? I'm thinking of a Charles Barkley. Yes, sir. That's exactly who I'm thinking of, who suggested that in no way, shape or form, athletes should be looked at as role models. I think that's a little irresponsible on his part. I understood part of his point. But I think that's foolish for you to imagine that uh, they're not going to be viewed that way. And when you know you're going to be viewed that way, you need to act in a, an appropriate fashion. Some of these guys are, and and women too, athletes are, are not getting the message. Yeah, and I, I, at the time when he first made those remarks, I, I thought, I think maybe he's right. It should be on parents. But to assume that whether or not they should be, I think it's different than whether or not they are. I think whether or not they should be is irrelevant because in this situation, you have a 10-year-old, an impressionable young person who sees this athlete working hard, being polite, eating healthy food, and all of those things are clearly being digested by this child who, sa- who says maybe, maybe that helps him become like this athlete as he moves on in his life. Well, and the point there is, you know, act like nobody's watching all the time. I tell my kids that. Pretend that I've got eyes in the sky, which I do, if you're listening right now, boys. I will always know when you break the rules. One way or another, I will find out. And the whole idea that you act an appropriate way. And in Winnipeg, I say this too. You never know who you're speaking to unless you know who you're speaking to. So be polite. Mm -hmm. Because you never know who that person you just met at Safeway is, that person that you're flipping the bird to in traffic is, and who might recognize you (laughs) as someone either recognizable or a friend of a friend. You know, just be nice to one another. It's not really that hard, is it? 
Are you saying I can't flip the bird and traffic anymore? Oh, you can all you want. I'm just telling you that people might start recognizing who you are. You live in a different world now, McGarry. Yeah, I know. It's good. It's good advice. Uh, and I've, I've tried over the last couple of years to curb my road rage issues. <laughs> Your bird flipping? Yeah. Habits? Well, it's not so much bird flipping. It's more put the window down and, and scream, yeah, well, <laughs> blob, senities galore. 346. Traffic and weather together next. I'm going to quickly congratulate Ash Taves, who has won our tickets for today for the Winnipeg Wine Festival this Saturday afternoon, the public tasting from 1 until 4 at the convention center. Had to identify the movie that is associated with this clip. Maybe you'd like some wine with your nose. Cheese. Wine. We'll be fine. What movie was that? The answer... Roxanne, the 1987 film starring Steve Martin about a guy with a really big long nose. Do you have a straw? No, I don't actually. Why? No particular reason. Because he has a big nose and it's hard to drink. Oh. Is, is that a modern uh, rendition of Cyrano de Bergerac? Isn't yes, that what it that is. is? Correct. It is. Oh, okay. Very I was good. hoping you'd take my idea for the contest. Oh, God. <laughs> mm, no. Why? <laughs> Because it's already annoying. That's why. Uh, uh, uh. We wanted you to whine for your wine. I well, wanted no, you to whine, no, no, yes. No, 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 no. Julie wanted you to have to whine for your wine, and Brett McGarry said, not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Julie. Hey, it's a great idea, but... You could have uh, seen how long you could stand somebody whining at you. Uh, we just found out. It's about seven <laughs> seconds. Richard Cluche, you've got a smile on your face, a, a shirt and tie on your torso. Where were you today, sir? Uh, uh, doing an interview for a piece that you'll hear here and see on global television later this week. Oh, we get to see you on TV again? Sorry about that. Okay. Like, uh, are we going to have to start dividing the studio for Cluche just over there and then the rest of us over here? Those of us with you're, a face for radio. You're on TV a lot more than I am mm, with those St. Boniface Hospital ads. Yeah. You look pretty good there, okay, buddy. Okay, thanks. All right. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. I was wondering what was up with the getup. I was like, oh, Cloutier looks even sharp. <laughs> I walked in the other day in a suit. He goes, what's with the getup? And I'm like, what do you mean? I look like a million bucks. He goes, that's what I'm trying to say. When someone says getup, isn't there a negative okay. connotation? McGarry, <laughs> we're going shopping, me and you. I don't. Uh, we're going shopping. Oh, if you're paying, I'll, I'm all for that. <laughs> I'm not paying, but we'll go shopping. Well, then no. no <laughs> okay. If McGarry shows like up in his up. suit, we're all in trouble. Yeah, fair enough. So, what uh, do you mean? One of us is dead? <laughs> is, that the, is that what you're saying? <laughs> Could be. Julie, what have you been working on for the news uh, starting in about uh, seven minutes' time? Uh, we have lots on the go. We will speak with uh, Scott Young and have a little bit of fun talking planetarium. We have a giveaway to see Burton Cummings at the Burt, so we will play Guess Who. Of course you oh. will. Why yes, wouldn't you? and it will refer to someone in the news today. Okay. Okay, that's that's a couple of things we're working on. You're brilliant. Uh, Zane Tesler, the civilian director of the Independent Investigation Unit, will join us after the 4 o'clock news. The very latest information on that shooting downtown uh, adjacent to police headquarters in the Skywalk, the walkway there. Both uh, Global News' um, Matt Carty and Sean Leslie working on that story. Uh, we've got video up at cgob.com and globalnews.ca. 
Uh, so stay with us on radio, television, and digital for the very latest information. Brett, sort of two ways to look at that, right? Uh, talk about public safety in the downtown, the fact that the police were right there, maybe when something was going on, or the fact that a shooting took place uh, during a busy lunch hour. There might be two ways to look at that. There, there are always several ways to look at it, but uh, at this point, we don't have enough facts to be able to give you a lot of conclusions as to what happened here. And uh, they're still gathering evidence as we speak. But the very latest information on this fluid story as we go this afternoon. And the city will pop by and tell us how um, the, the situation city? with the little buggers is going. Oh, <laughs> Whoa. Already? Yeah. You know what? Mm-hmm. But I love this. We've got two. Uh, I think one of them is bringing a guitar in. It's Music Monday, right? I was at the Forks a little bit earlier today in the noon hour and uh, hanging out there. And uh, two high schoolers are going to come in after 5 o'clock and talk about uh, their Music Monday experience. And I think one of them has got a guitar. So we'll Fantastic. Have a live music. Love it. Thanks, you two. That's uh, Richard Clucci. 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 Julie Buckingham. You know, I shouldn't be laughing because one of our loyal listeners just sent us uh, pictures at 7806868 saying, I missed your show today because my house burnt down yesterday. So uh, we're, we're thinking about you. I've uh, got pictures here. Where's this? Uh, well, we'll uh, get you the details. Okay. All okay. Right. Stay with yeah, us. Just, yes. just pictures uh, have been sent to 204-780-6868. So sorry. Uh, to hear this and to see this. And thank you for sharing that. We'll reach out to you for some some more details uh, this afternoon on 680 CJOB. That's all the time we have. Uh, and just for the record, when I when I said get up, I didn't mean negative. I, I how, know, can I, how can I possibly mean I know get up? No, you didn't. But at first, it was one of those terminologies <laughs> like, Hmm. Yeah. Do I look like a clown? Am I here for your entertainment? Yeah, the, 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 the chest definitely puffed out for a little bit for a moment on Greg's part when I said that. But no, I just <laughs> meant, yeah, look, it was unusual because we don't we don't have to wear suits. Fair enough, my friend. Can't Fair work. enough. So, yeah. 354, that's all the time we have. Jeff Forte and Master Control. Thank you very much. And thank you to listening to Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB.